That was Heinz, been invited to a party, produced by You Know Who. And note the extraordinary Richie Blackmore instrumental solo about two-thirds of the way into it that is so surprising and has such a huge level of reverb and underlying. There must be five or six sound levels, and I'm not even wearing my hearing aids, and I heard at least five sound levels in that intrusion or intervention of the remarkable and uh, divinely inspired producer of an otherwise everyday song, to say the least, been invited to a party. And it uh, brings to mind a French film director. This is a short podcast. I'm eager to boil it down so as to not give you more information than the average normal human being can digest in a short period of time, because I've got a lot I could say. But I want to say just a little bit about the surprise that I have recently uh, been um, exposed to in my own life, a surprise of new material, a surprise of humility, because I knew nothing about this, and I like to consider myself someone who has a deep bench when it comes to movies and foreign movies and all kinds of movies, and uh, also a, um, a picture of the Christian faith in art that um, is really almost anonymous in critical circles. John Zoll was introducing a Rossellini movie last night at Bedford, in the Bedford Playhouse, for a remarkable series he is curating curating in uh, through St. Matthew's Bedford, but for the whole community of movies of faith during Lent at the very distinguished venue of the Bedford Playhouse. And he pointed out that when you look up this movie, which happens to have been called Europa 51, a lot of people have written about it, but they always say the ending is very humane, or the 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 human the emphasis is humanist, or Rossellini, the director, in one of his more humanist statements. And because these um, critics, I would say 99% of them, it partly is the reason they are critics, they've defined themselves against don't know anything or very little about Christianity, either its content or its experience. So whenever there's a movie that's directly graceful or explicitly human Christian and is clearly coming from a Christian perspective, they can't, they don't have a category for it. So they'll say, um, they'll say, uh, humanist. And, um, you just notice that if you follow critics on the internet or the village voice or the New Yorker, especially humanist, well, um, what I discovered to my repentance was that I knew about as much concerning this great artist in the movies as I knew about the um, extraordinary extrusion of a Richie Blackmore-inspired guitar solo in a lame pop song by Heights in the early 60s as produced in his um, upstairs apartment flat in Islington. And it really has um, once again clarified how little we know of God's work and how much our eyes are blinded by the world. What happened was that I uh, happened to note that a newly Blu-rayed release of a 1942 movie entitled Flesh and Fantasy, directed by the expat director Julien Duvivier, that's D as in Delta, U, V as in Victor, I, V, I, E, R, 
Julien Duvivier. I saw it because I was interested in um, something that I read offhandedly about it. And um, the first episode is pure imputation. It's absolutely sublimely a kind of... Uh, underlining of everything I've attempted to say to you in this cast. I couldn't believe it. And then I remember that <coughs> Sheila Schwartz had given me a copy years ago of de Vivier's next Hollywood film entitled Tales of Manhattan, which was no expense was spared in this particular movie about a kind of um, uh, formal coat, what used to be called white tie and tales, tales of Manhattan, um, it's a play on words, uh, passes from one group of people to another through a variety of odd events. And one of the tales, the fourth one, if you watch this on YouTube or OK.RU, get the movie, and it's about an hour and 26 minutes into it. The rest you can skip. But this is Duvivier, and there's a tale about a drunk um, chap played, homeless man, played by Edward G. Robinson, who's a homeless man down in Doyer Street in Chinatown, to whom something extraordinary happens that is so remarkably the gospel. It is the gospel. It's like seeing Martin Luther, Carl Hall, and St. Paul um, put together into a 15-minute episode of the redemption of a thoroughly lost and habituated character um, and what changes his life. And it's a uh, powerful. So I said to myself, well, why didn't I see that when Sheila gave me that movie all those years ago? I wasn't sensitive to it. And so I'm trying to open doors for the listener, for you to, you were the living, this mash was meant to. I want you to see some things that you may not have seen before. That's why I play the, the odd uh, guitar solos in Joe Meek Heinz songs, of which there are many, 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 if you expand the repertoire to other artists that he produced. So I look up uh, Duvivier, and it turns out that a um, collection of nine or ten of his silent movies, because he was very prolific in France in the 1920s, has just been released on Blu-ray by a French outfit called Lobster Films, and they're beautiful scholarly reconstructions in Blu-ray of about nine of his movies, all of which have Christian themes, but three of which are explicitly evangelistic. Um, one is called The Divine Voyage, one is called Agony in Jerusalem, and it was the first commercial movie ever filmed in the Holy Land in 1925 or so, and then one that is called The Miraculous Life of Teresa of Lisieux, the one I haven't seen, and you watch these movies and you cannot believe your eyes. Here's this great artist who later did movies that are memorialized everywhere today by secular critics. One is called Carrot Top or Poil de Carotte, and one is called Pepe Le Moco with Jean Gabin and is considered one of the high points of expressionist French film. This man, de Vivier, was later unhorsed in the same way that Terence Radigan was unhorsed by John Osborne in English theater in the early 60s, Duvivier was seen as the establishment and was unhorsed by Jean-Luc Godard and François Truffaut and the so-called Nouvelle Vague, the new wave. And um, you can see why, because his movies are explicitly, devotedly, evangelistically Christian. He might even have said Catholic, and let's say, all right, Catholic Christian. They are Christian in a capital C in a most remarkable way. And uh, <clears throat> you'll see them. <clears throat> and then I find a book I have, a scholarly book that I got years ago in Vienna, visiting David when he was doing a year abroad in Vienna. I found this book off Deutsch in a wonderful bookstore there. 
about the history of Jesus movies in a very scholarly, you know, only the Germans can do it with that degree of scholarship. And in all the movies, in this long, big scholarly tome, which is very high quality, not a religious published book, a scholarly book, a monograph, not once, not once, is, let's have lunch, is de Vivier's favorite movie even mentioned. And that was the movie he made in 1935, entitled Golgotha, which is his spectacular reenactment of the last three days of the life of Christ. It's not even mentioned. And then in this, uh, currently in this uh, wonderful new Blu-ray that's been done so beautifully in Paris, you get it, and they, uh, they list all his movies made in the 1930s, and they don't even mention Golgotha. They say, oh, he tended to lose his faith a little bit after production difficulties in the Holy Land connected with this early movie, Agony in Jerusalem. Well, yeah, and then he went ahead in 1935 to make about the most trailblazing direct movie of the life of Christ, especially the resurrection appearances that you have ever seen. It will blow your mind, 1935. Needless to say, this humanist movie has never been released yet on DVD commercially released. Bad prints exist. And then they say, oh, well, then he became this and that. Well, he didn't, because in the mid-50s, he produced two of the greatest and most delightful and powerful Christian movies ever made. I've written pieces about them. I've talked about them. One is called Don Camillo, and one is called The Return of Don Camillo. So supposedly this what? are you? Does anybody know anything? First, did I know anything? Did I know anything at all about these 1920s movies, which are now sensationally, beautifully printed out and released on Blu-ray? Did I put it together that this was this great Christian artist who was one of the, if not the leading, you know, Rene Claire we think of, and <clears throat> Jean Renoir we think of, and <clears throat> Children of the pa- L'Enfant du Paradis, <clears throat> and yet the king of them all, the one who never stopped working, who just produced masterpiece after masterpiece. <clears throat> is Jean de Vivier. So I didn't know anything. Jean de Vivier has enriched my life, and the critical establishment really quashes these things. I mean, just go see um, a movie called When in Rome from about 1953 with uh, Van Johnson and Paul Lloyd, Paul Douglas. Uh, it's one of the most inspiring, uplifting movies about a Catholic priest who visits Rome on a pilgrimage who gets mixed up with a criminal. And you couldn't find a more Christian denouement than When in Rome, where I've often talked to you about um, the one movie about the light, seeing the light with uh, Sterling Hayden. I've talked about that and Thomas Mitchell. Well, there are many, many, many others. We don't. There's so much of this, but it's been quashed. You know, the world, the flesh, and the devil quashes it. And um, one day, maybe I'll write a book. I don't want to write a book for Christian publishers. I want to write a book for the same people that published the German textbook on Jesus movies who weren't interested in the faith. They were interested in the in the um, doing an archive account of these movies, and they missed about the most important ones because. At least two of Duvivier's movies are specifically in Act the Passion. I mean, the one I saw last night, the one that I'm speaking about now, um, The Agony in Jerusalem and uh, The uh, Golgotha, they specifically reenact the Passion right in front of you to the effect of converting the uh, poor, distraught um, victim of uh, an anarchist uh, revolutionary brawl. Oh my gosh. I mean, Antifa versus the Catholic Church. It's unbelievable. Okay. That's all I wanted to say. Love you. And uh, look at the VVA. Analyze your own arsenal, which is probably much weaker than you thought. You know, sort of like America's military. Apparently, we have not as well prepared as we might think. And, um, and then uh, be prepared to uh, 
in your humility to see something that's really life-changing, life-affecting. See agony in Jerusalem. See Golgotha. See uh, first, episode four. By the way, you go to about an hour and 26 minutes. Don't worry about the first three uh, episodes. Uh, You go about an hour and 24, 23 minutes into the movie and then start. It goes on for about 20 minutes. The uh, total purest mockingbird uh, um, embodiment that Duvivier placed in the very middle. And as the critics say, the best episode in Tales of Manhattan is undoubtedly the Edward G. Robinson one, which has humanist themes. Love you. Oh, and here's uh, another little bit of wonderful Heinz. Say goodbye and the teardrops start Oh, I'm lost without you 